Get personal with loyalty, where we're discussing using loyalty to deliver personalized, relevant customer experiences. I'm your host, Erin Reese, and today I'm here with David Slavic. David is co-founder and partner of Ascendant Loyalty, a CRM and loyalty-focused firm serving the needs of clients that embrace or seek to achieve customer centricity. He is one of the few strategic loyalty leaders that has the right combination of strategic vision and technology expertise on a global scale. Having been on client side as well, he understands that changes in a program will make a difference in how to lead a client organization to get it done. Welcome, David. Thanks, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be with you today. We're excited to have you. Thank you. And and My yes, pleasure. you you do. I mean, all of I mean, I've known you for years, and you have been on the client side, and then you've been with all the some of the big consulting firms, and now you're doing it yourself. So you certainly have the perspective from from all the angles. Yeah, for sure. And I, our firm Ascendant has a number of consultants and my business partner, Jay Weinberg. Uh, we're actually going to be celebrating our fourth year as Ascendant. So it's really been great to to be in this space and be working with great technology partners like yourself. Well, and you guys got started in a pandemic hit. So kudos to you for starting it at a difficult time and, and really making it work. So you, you know you guys are great that way. Well, as everybody has been seeing, there's probably more demand as a result of the pandemic than the other way around in our space. You know, it's interesting even to see what's happened in the food and beverage space. One day, you know, everybody was just counting on general advertising, which is fine imagery, whether it's McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or even regional chains, right? Like Raising Cane's. And then all of a sudden, everybody is going and adopting mobile first and engaging the customer and offering incremental value by driving traffic or doing innovative things like Taco Bell was doing. I mean, who would have ever thought that Taco Bell would offer $9.99 per month and you get a taco every day? So in the midst of the pandemic to drive, drive traffic and obviously drive through was a safe uh, engagement even during the pandemic, you saw a completely amazing transformation even in the food and beverage space in, in the loyalty area. And we ourselves are just seeing a tremendous amount of demand just because people really want to go and power up their data and have that kind of customer centricity that you mentioned and uh, really have experts giving them advice. If they can afford it and they see value, then, you know, then they reach out and it's our pleasure to help. I love all those points you made. Part of why we started the podcast was to talk about now that organizations have gone through this digital transformation we seem to be at that place where we finally can be delivering more personalized experiences and really begin to get to know our customer better and be able to be relevant and be able to recognize them. But yet we're still not seeing as much of that momentum as I think we would like. So we thought we'd start these conversations to begin to kind of dig in and see what might the challenges be and, hey, are, are, can we help them? And can we help solve some of those challenges? Yeah. You know, you even go back 10, 15 years ago before people were talking about CDPs and DMPs. You were talking about big data with social growth, right? And collecting more and more small bits of data, but then piecing it all together so that you could identify who your influencers were, where your likes were coming from, collecting post-purchase information to get reviews, have that posted so that you could have confidence in the company, et cetera. And now as things have evolved with even stronger analytical capability, 
and companies are committed to understanding the data and then appreciating the value of the data, which actually is their greatest asset. And that's what the investment community considers. Mm-hmm. Besides the identified customers and active members, they want to know what's the how are you leveraging the data? So that operationalizing the insights and being able to go and do it on a daily basis. It's one thing to report information. It's a whole nother level of expertise that says, have people who have a strategic insight on the business to look at the data every day and identify strategic value that comes out of the information. And someone would say, is it really practical to look at it every day? Well, you're open every day. You've got sales associates that are taking care of customers every day. You have feedback every day. You have offers that are valid every day. Why wouldn't you look at the data every day and see if there are strategic insights? Are certain stores not meeting their goals and objectives against plan for the month? Are certain parts of the floor display and product not moving? Are certain sizes breaking quicker in apparel? And therefore, you need to replenish. So obviously, merchant team and logistics are looking at all of that. But who's responding to your offers and what kind of margin are you getting from the offers or not responding? Or you have test and control or champion challenger methodologies every day that goes by. You need to analyze that. If you all of a sudden have a high return rate, that could be an indication that product is not satisfying the customer and you need to do something about it and turn left instead of turning right in your decision. So operationalizing that data and having sound business practices in place across the entire organization to inform based upon what the data is telling you is super important. I don't know whether artificial intelligence is going to provide you with the strategic insight. I don't know whether machine learning can. It can automate things. It can make things easier for you. But I think what's in the head of your analysts and your strategists, and they're talking to the business, they're talking to marketing, they're in planning meetings with the merchants, they're talking to the logistics folks, they're talking to store operations, and they're informing them. Because those identified customers, they impact the entire enterprise. That's the beauty of of the practice that we do in customer relationship marketing and loyalty. There, there's so much that you said there that we can unpack. I go ahead. <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> so if I'm if I'm sitting here and I put my like a merchant hat on and going, okay, mm-hmm. wow, this is great. Looking at my data every day, okay, I get it. Good, but but how how do I get my hands on it? Because maybe as a marketer, I'm not. I don't have access to connecting all of the dots. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where do I start? Who do I team up with? Right. So great point. The data is one thing, but then the analytical leadership needs to create dashboards. And those dashboards have to be built to satisfy the needs of each of those organizations. But then you have a core of excellence at the strategic level sitting on that data that is providing the value-added observations and key strategic insights or identifying particular tactics and methods that can then impact business performance. So if the reporting isn't segmented based upon the groupings, whether it's the merchant team, the marketing team, the store operations team, finance wants to see certain data because the program might have a liability construct and that's important, 
you're making offers, handing out points and building up the liability, but you're not seeing the you know associated redemption that you thought you would. So the liability is going up, but the incremental is is not being seen. So finance wants to see that as well. Again, the strategic implications that are associated with it and putting triggers or highlights against certain metrics. So if you have particular benchmarks of the way that business is supposed to be running, whether it's in an individual store level or a district or a region, then put those indicators on top of the data that would highlight differences. So if plan's supposed to be here and you're here, what are you going to do to bring it up? If you're overachieving plan, great. Are you seeing the kind of satisfactory profit margin while you're overachieving? Is there a lot of clearance buying and you're not getting the margin that that you wanted based upon where you are by season, et cetera? So you, you got to segment out the data. And unfortunately, some organizations, at least in the U.S., I don't think necessarily in the U.K. or in EMEA, they have a tendency to silo the data or people don't realize that the information is there and available or they have their traditional standards and practices relative to planning and analytics and logistics and so on. And that extra data, they're not used to operating with it. So they have to learn how. Mm-hmm. So that's important with the, uh, the analytics team to, to teach people how to go and leverage the data uh, to improve their overall planning practice. Oh, great, great points. Well, and obviously this is a, a discussion around loyalty. And, and if you have a loyalty program in place, there's certain data that's coming in and out of, of that solution. And then there's also the ability to take some of the learnings that you're talking about using the loyalty to then help action on that data. So as an example, if you're seeing that certain products, to your point, if certain products aren't moving or they're not moving at the right price point or what have you, you can go look at loyalty to see, all right, who's bought that before and maybe I can have them go buy another one and and help to move things along. And, and I'm not sure that a whole lot of um, organizations are really looking at loyalty as a solution to help from, from that perspective. I think some are and some aren't. I think that the whole aspect, if you, if you just break it down into cross shopping, I'm buying in this particular category, I should be buying here and I'm not. When I was on the consulting side, and we were consulting with one of the larger uh, grocer entities, I won't say who. And you could look at, in actuality, the DNA of the customer and the genomic construct of the customer. And you'd be able to then identify other areas within the store that that customer should be shopping. So getting pretty darn scientific, which I love. So if you're into health food, If you're into certain tastes, I love peppermint and hazelnut. (laughs) What's the indication for that? What type of bread or baked goods or candy or other departments within the organization would be beneficial for me? And I'm not shopping those parts of the store where there might be some really good margin. Mm -hmm. Or I could push private label goods based upon the type of tastes and preferences that I have. So if I like Mediterranean food, healthy food, food that doesn't have cornstarch in it, et cetera, that's an indication of what my individual preferences are. So that might indicate that I actually like whole grain or nine grain bread. And and, and I've never bought, I haven't bought white bread since I was 12 years old. 
Wonder Bread, right? So (laughs) there are ways, right? (laughs) Wonder Bread. So, I mean, there's, there's ways to go and break the data down so that you could actually optimize cross shopping. In a department store setting, the same thing. It's real easy to think about buying a dress and buying shoes or accessories, but it's a whole nother thing to figure out ways to be relevant to that customer in other departments. Or I'm always going to the cosmetics counter and buying for my own health and beauty, but then I'm not walking in and buying clothing. Why aren't I buying clothing? Could it be a function of my size? Could it be a function of the price points? Could it be a function of um, not being impressed with the fashion and style that's there at the department store and someone else, a more boutique is what my personal style is? How can we become more relevant to that customer? By understanding the customer at a more genomic level, at an individual level based upon their preferences and their tastes, that's the way to go and, and really get down to personalization. And there are some companies that are actually doing that and doing it well. You know who's doing it well? Amazon. Why is Amazon doing it well? Because they have over 100 statistical scientists and PhDs that are figuring that stuff out. So ultimately, what is presented to you on the site is consistent with either your past behavior or your future predicted behavior. I, I would debate that one with you. They've yet to really get me good. But but yeah, they're sitting on so much. What about, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of conversation, at least where, where I sit, around zero and first party data. So as you're telling the grocery story, which I love, I, I think there's so much opportunity in grocery that, that those organizations just aren't tapping. But if you knew that I was a vegetarian and... Um, my son was on a keto diet or, or what have you. There's so much more that so much more relevant that you could get and so much more you could do to engage the customer, maybe make their life easier as well. I agree. I think so much is inferred as opposed to actually you telling me it's a two way dialogue with a mutual expectation of gain. Yep. If I dialogue with you, you're going to know more about me. So what research winds up telling us, whether it's whoever is fielding that research across that entire spectrum and asking the consumer, now you're in these loyalty programs and you're sharing data with them. Are you seeing that those companies are actually using the data to do a better job of servicing your needs? What is the answer? It's like, I agree 80%. They are not leveraging the data or demonstrating that they actually are showing that they understand me, that they appreciate me, that they know what my preferences are, et cetera. So the simple thing is a preference center and doing surveys. Some companies are using uh, in, you know, individual companies uh, to, to go and learn more, and they gamify the way to to go and capture that information. And then they are achieving zero party or first party capture data, or they're using excellent companies that are out there to append the information uh, based upon other ways of collecting to learn more and know more. And that commitment to both gamification and data capture, as well as appending the data, is always, always, always a good practice. And then you need to operationalize it. You just write back to that same thing. So how do you, you have a lot of clients and are you, how are you guiding them on those paths? And is that something that they're interested in or, or are you seeing that organizations are still 
looking to get into loyalty to just increase maybe retention, maybe just initially getting to know customers. Where, where are you seeing organizations kind of on that spectrum of earn points, get stuff all the way to true relevancy individualization? The key theme is experiential. For 25 years, people have been saying points don't work or points are me too, or points are dead or don't do points because it's all and boring and and not inspirational. But it's an excellent methodology or trigger to be able to cause someone to track, understand, gives you an advantage based upon tiering and based upon bonusing. Bonusing is still relevant and still captures people's attention to generate an incremental response. But experiential aspects in terms of things that you can actually leverage that are unique to that brand organization that no competitor can replicate because it's unique to the brand. That is what what clients are asking for these days. And we're really excited to be able to create designs and strategies that are truly linked to the brand, complementary to the brand. The brand is, is the hero. The program is supportive of the brand and provides the stickiness to the customer and obviously helps them with retention, also helps them with growth. We're really delving very deep into all these areas, whether it's personas, whether it's journeys, whether it's diving in and really delivering on true personalization and empowering the data. That's part of the reason why why folks talk to us is because we do push the envelope and we're not afraid to go and share our opinion about these things. So if they're looking for an organization that kind of just going to check the boxes, but not necessarily push the envelope that's really not exciting for us. And so it's a it's a time right now when we talk about the things that we envision in this space and what we really want to be proud of. It's the combination of building effective partnerships with the technology companies and leveraging the feature functionality that the technologies have, like Annex Cloud, and then empowering the data and operationalizing it, but applying all those best practices. So that is where the trend is going. Even companies that have reached out to us, but even the companies that have reached out to us and were about to sign contracts, the reason why they came to us is first help me to build a business case. Is the financial model going to work for me? Mm. What kind of design options and strategies and benefits might I be able to offer applying all the costs that are associated with it? What do I need to build in order to be most effective from an OPEX and CAPEX standpoint? build and then ongoing operations, and then show me how I can get, not necessarily to an advanced level day one, but at least bring me something that when we execute it, it's distinctive, it's differentiated, it's inspirational, it's brand right, it provides a viral impact, it's going to create true brand advocates, it's going to cause our brand lovers to help us to acquire new and potentially as we grow and we build the overall database, then what's the role of partnerships, which happens to be a really hot area, as you know, as well. Yeah, definitely want to get into partnership discussion with you because I know that that's something near and dear to my heart and, and yours as well. But before that, when as you're talking and we're thinking, of, uh, certainly the data is key. I, I think everybody knows it and it's, it's how, how do you begin to collect it and then use it effectively, which we've talked about quite a bit, but then you talk about these emotional connections. And I I think when 
a company gets it right and is able to talk to you based on the data that creates a nice warm feeling and, and a connection. Uh, but there's a lot that goes into that or maybe more that can, needs to go into it. There's how do I deliver it more omni-channel or where my customer is, when they want me to do it, where that whole matching my expectations of where am I, I think is one thing. And, and then are there other kinds of experiential type aspects aside from again, trying to be relevant that, that tend to hook customers or that maybe need to be part of your strategy? Well, what's near and dear to many companies' heart is ESG. So anything that relates to the environment, sustainability, you know, supporting uh, the environment, ecology is obviously a key theme because that gets at people's heart. People care. And they want to know that the companies that they're doing business with are responsible companies. That's one thing. And so there are companies out there, you know, you start with Patagonia and work your way uh, forwards and backwards from there. But Mr. Schwinard is just amazing that way. And other uh, clients, one of our clients is Orvis that commits 5% to nature, nature as well as canine health. And so, you know, you find that that area is very important. And so a sense of community, like if, if you're into ESG and you have employees and you give a day of service and the employees could uh, decide what they want to do, if they want to go to a park and do a cleanup or they want to go to a stream and do a cleanup, um, that's something very beneficial making donations on the part of your customers as a percentage of their total sales is a beautiful thing in terms of giving back. From a transactional standpoint, but a nurturing standpoint, inviting customers to private shopping events, whether that's in the jewelry category or the shoe category, uh, when new goods you know land in the store, is also something that makes the customer feel special. So there are companies that create programs, and then when they outline what the benefits are, they'll say special access. Well, if special access is just an email to say the new goods landed, that's nice. Okay, I go to the website, and I see that those new goods landed. But even when, we, when I was at American Eagle and we were running the program, the All Access Pass program, when it was first introduced, that was the name, we had a lot of customers that were extra small and small. And those sizes broke first. So if I let you know that you love our, gra you know, our graphic tees or you love our polos, et cetera, and for the start of that season, whether it was spring or summer or fall or holiday, that those goods are now landing and come in and buy or we'll give you a, a ticket. And as soon as it comes back into stock, uh, you know, we'll let you know that it's there and it'll be reserved for you in the colors that you want. That's the kind of specialized service. That's showing that you know me. You recognize that I'm a smaller and extra small, and the you know the table's all full of mediums and large within two days after the product lands. So, anything that you can do with community, with invitations, with special shopping events, understanding like, give me a special sale day, okay? Mm -hmm. Lots of companies want to go. And get that one incremental transaction, and that'll be the difference between a, a non-member and a member, and it'll generate my incremental lift. Company like Famous Footwear that we service, they had that as a component of their program. It was smart. 
pick your own sale day. I don't have to wait for an email. I just go and say, hey, it's my time to go and get special savings. And that lines up with my birthday. But guess what? I don't want to shop within five days of my birthday. I want to shop within 60 days of my birthday or you know whatever the case may be. Or I'm actually going to Europe and I need a new pair of, of walking shoes. I get to push a button, give me a coupon, and I'm going to shop you instead of shopping DSW. I mean, there are a lot of really smart things that you can do at an individualized level to go and engage that have nothing to do with points. And mm-hmm. it has everything to do with the way that you construct the program, the way you leverage technology to go and enable it, the way you do triggers. And of course, as we were talking about personalizing the content, the display of the email, the timeliness of the offer, et cetera. Great, great points. I, I know when supply chain issues didn't first hit, but when they really became a mainstream conversation and and talking to people and saying, you loyalty can help here. And they look at me like I have two heads and say, no, because you know who your customer is. If you're collecting the data, you know what sizes they are. There you and go. So if you're going to have difficulty to your point on the smaller size, or maybe it's a, a, a man with large feet for you know, so limited shoes and, and they're a best customer, they're buying it all the time. You, you know you're going to be low on it. Why not save them for him or or let them know what, what's happening and just being able to make worst case scenario proactively a conversation with them. Best case scenario, you're able to do something about holding off on on selling to others to to support those best clients. So I, I think there's, right. there's so much you could be so many different ways loyalty can help. Yeah. At a business to business level in talking to your commercial customers and communicating with them at a branch level to take care of their needs, brilliant. You use the technology. In the old days, and even now, the person that's in charge of the data and the person that's in charge of direct marketing may not feel comfortable allowing a local store manager or a branch manager to have their own database of customers to then be able to do personal communications. On the other hand, you have Davy Tree Company, who I use. I have a personal relationship with my arborist. He communicates to me directly, and I'd say probably nine out of 10 communications are direct from his branch office. And all the communications, including the direct mail, the email, the reminders, everything, are out of that branch office and custom, custom developed. It's brilliant. It's a tree service fertilizing company. I've had the same exact experience. It's interesting that you brought it up. So so it's not, not, you're not just special. They're doing obviously a very good job of it. If I'm a shoe store and and I have a particular clientele and I have a store manager that's empowered that knows who my VIPs are, X percent of my audience represents 80% of my sales. They buy every new um, item that, that comes out per season, whether it's Coach or or other companies, right? They always buy the new purse, in, you know, in a particular style or particular color. The new goods come in. That store manager should have the, the wherewithal and the support with consistent email template, consistent branding, consistent tone. Then they can, you know, have a change paragraph somewhere in there or personalize it to be able to communicate directly to those VIPs 
And guess what? Those VIPs are going to be opening up those emails at a rate of 60 or 70% open rate. Yep. And they're going to click through and they're going to convert. Yeah. Who could complain with something like that? And so I think when you talk about personalization, I think you should talk about localization. You talk about grocery. Have you ever gotten a communication from the manager of your local grocery? No. But, but what would happen if he contacted me where last week I bought salmon and I bought whole fresh salmon, but they also know that I love the cryovac tuna and I always buy it when, when it's on special. David, we've got the cryovac tuna back in and every time you go in there, you buy 10 of those, right? Because they keep. Well, I'll come in for the tuna and buy it on special. And then, of course, my wife hates this. Then I go into the store and I spend another $200. Right. <laughs> and guess what? I'm shopping at that store and not shopping at the competition. Why not? Yep. Why not break it down like that? So there are companies like Dunhumby and others that, you know, and Nielsen and so on that provide the data to the grocer to indicate what, what, what should drive their circulars, what should drive their features to coordinate with the manufacturers, maybe to do a little bit of segmented or personalized or unique uh, version direct marketing. But when it comes to talking to that individual customer and identifying, again, going all the way back to the genomics and the DNA to inform, never. I'm sitting there going and making orders on Instacart. You know exactly what I'm buying, why I'm buying it, and how often. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, there's, there, again, I think I said this already, there's so much opportunity in grocery. I think it's it's just a huge opportunity for for loyalty. I, I go to the grocery store almost every single day. And it's not always mm-hmm. the same one, but it could be. And no one ever acknowledges who you are, or what you're doing, and no one's making my life easier. So I think there's also that that opportunity from more of a all of us are our time is currency. So how do we make you know, how can companies help make that easier? So Wait, true. Our, our good friend Phil Rubin talks about that. Yeah. That that actually the the greatest factor of really engendering preference is you helping me to manage my time most effectively, that that actually is a, a, a consideration or a currency or something that you definitely hold dear because there's only so many hours in the day. So if I can make your life easier and I can make things so that you have more time to be able to relax and read a book and know that everything is taken care of, how wonderful. And not a lot of people take advantage of that either. Why are personal shoppers so beneficial in retail? Yeah. Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom have personal shoppers. Why do they do that? Because people appreciate the personal attention. They know what's in your closet because they are leveraging the day. And they go and they do proactive calls to go help help you to shop. And And guess what? People are dropping a heck of a lot of money in both of those environments for many, many years. Yeah, huge opportunity there. But I think it also is something that we wanted to talk about partnership as well. I think doing partnerships well, you can add more of that convenience and value to your customer too. So I think there's the client telling aspect of it. And and then there's what else am I doing as I might be on my way to your store or what have you to that, that you can provide me some additional value. And maybe there's 
kind of a, some kind of concept of two for one <laughs> there with the partner. Um, and I know that's a topic that's near and dear to your heart and that you, you, um, you and Jay at Ascendant do a lot from a partnership perspective. So I'd love to dig in and, and talk to you about that because I think there's a lot of different takes on partnership. I think it's one of those things that you can throw out there and anybody that's listening is going to have a different connection in their head as to what partnership is. Does it mean mm-hmm. a coupon from another store that I get is part of my shipping package or something, or, or is it something that's more aligned and in some kind of deeper connection? So I'd love to be able to hear how you define partnership and, and where you see the benefits. Well, so like airlines are doing a nice job or hotel chains are doing a nice job with partnerships. It's, it's an easy construct where we've got United Airlines here in Chicago. They've got partnership with an entity that called United Cruises, but it's actually through a broker. I believe it's not owned by United, but they're a partner. And I get mileage plus points if I book my cruise through that service. Then you also have the partnership with the hotel chain, with the car rental companies and so on. And if you can maximize that total earn and you don't want car points and you don't want hotel points, you want it all to go to airline, you can do that. And it's obviously a multi-billion dollar asset along with the credit card uh, relationship that they have with with Chase at United. And I'm very loyal to it because we live in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a natural. But the aspect of partnerships needs to be explored if the program is somewhat mature. I would not explore partnerships in its basic construct form until you have a decent amount of size of audience and you've got the analytics to support the profile of who your customers are. So if you have particular personas in your business, and then those personas are attractive to partners who want to acquire those same customers that might be a way to either address a weakness that the partner has against that demographic or that persona, or it's complementary, but there's room for growth by that, from that partner becoming a partner with you, you've got the perfect match. Then there are other things, like you were saying, that's like along your daily journey. So if I go to a restaurant and I go out to dinner with Julie, and then afterwards I want to go to a movie, well, what better partnership can that be than dinner and a movie? Mm -hmm. So you bring the restaurant chain together with an AMC theaters, and you create that perfect match. And they cross rough with each other. So one provides an offer to them and they provide an offer to, to the other. And it's a beautiful cross row. And then the other component that goes along with it, it's not just offer. We want to go and monitor the response and see who actually is being acquired and or are we lifting overall CSAT or, or NPS scores. So if they are higher promoters of our business because you're providing me with value-added benefit because I'm in your restaurant program, but now you're giving me movie benefits. It's a wonderful thing. Or if I'm a department store and I have a spectrum of credit card holders from an Amex Visa MasterCard co-brand to private label credit card only to be used in my department stores and can't be used anywhere 
hotels, that spectrum of audience is different. The co-brand card holder could be older and higher income, and the PLCC could be younger, um, but still a decent income. And each of those segments or profiles of the portfolio issued by, you know, Bread Financial or Synchrony, they want to go and create stickiness and make sure that that card continues to be held in the first wallet and not the fifth purse, Mm -hmm. right? So if I can go and make offers to them, which are beneficial, how do you know who the partner should be? Research. Start with research and talk to those card holders or to those customers. It doesn't have to be credit card holders. It could be any of your total spectrum of, of customers that you have and find out what services they, they would like to have. Would it be a Davy tree? Would that be advantageous? Well, if, <laughs> if the majority of a certain segment of your population, your persona happens to be homeowners, they might actually like to get a valuated offer from Davy tree. And there's a perfect example where you didn't get that offer any other way. So that's another point of distinction. The offer needs to be at advantage. Exclusive. It can't be a me to it can't be a me to offer. If you offer me something that I can get from one of the sites, the affiliate sites, right? So you, you want to avoid the so what factor, and you want to build an understanding from the research. So would my customers be interested in home furnishings? Would they be interested in, to your point about convenience, at home food delivery? Would mm-hmm. they be interested in a sun basket? Would they be interested in a blue apron? Would they be interested in streaming services? If I could give you a savings to get Hulu or to get Paramount Plus or to get, would that make you happy? And the answer would be most certainly. Or that could be an acquisition uh, uh, for for those streaming services. And the primary hub company, let's say the department store, has a mass audience and therefore it's a worthwhile adventure for that at-home a food service or the streaming service or in or, or other type of sector. So what you do is you do an analysis of the customer. And then after you get that kind of feedback of the areas that they're interested in, then you score those sectors, pet care and pet stores to petrol companies, to department stores, to service industries, grocery companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera and score them. So you score them across a criteria that makes sense for you. And then you drill down within those sectors and find the companies that match up well with you. They have good control of their data. They have a decent size uh, population of engaged members. They are promotionally oriented. They would be a good partner on an ongoing basis. So they're more of a strategic partner. Or you might find that some partners are more seasonal. So you have strategic partners, and then you have some partners that are more tactical, and you bring them in as new news against your standard partners. So it's all in the planning. It's all in the negotiation. It's all in what the vision is that you're ultimately presenting. And in generally speaking, it needs to be a win-win, where both companies are achieving their goals and objectives. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I spent a lot of time in what is now called merchant-funded world um, before it was called that. And when it began, to, when it moved to that, I always thought it was such a, a horrible way to talk about a market 
because you're you're as a credit card company you're going out and wanting to build a partnership with a retailer and it's like basically you're too bad you're funding what i want to do and it really lacks that feeling of a partnership where how, how can you take it to that next level and really be strategic on both sides it really can't be one-sided where one guy, the, the behemoth is just going to stand there and say, oh, no, no, you fund the offer just because I said so. I think it really yeah. needs to have that, that that mutual benefit factor and both sides need to look at it as an opportunity and see it as such for it to really yeah. be successful. But there are ad networks, right? You see like with Walgreens is doing as an example and you're offering impressions. So those are fresh impressions, and there's how many Walgreens stores uh, all the way across the country. And so if I partner with Walgreens and I'm a health and beauty company, or I partner with Walgreens and I am an insurance company or a health insurance company, I might want to partner with them and you know run my ads in their network. That is a partnership. But then there might be ways that um, they can, you know, match up together to create something that's that much more powerful. So depending upon the attitude or the perspective of both companies, you can pretty much find almost any way that it can be mutually beneficial and adaptive to what their business needs or what their business metrics are, and what their goals and objectives are. That's a that's a super valid point. I, I guess I was thinking of it from a more altruistic perspective. But yeah, there's okay. Uh, I'll pay to get exposure to a large a large potential customer base for sure. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about the partnerships, I'm trying to think about more of you know, how, how do you build your own brand? And you know, there's a lot of talk around from, as a trend in loyalty, but I think just a trend in in how organizations are going to market now is how can I extend my brand from when you're transacting with me into your daily life? Like Nike thinks done a really great job of this is you, you can go buy something of Nike's, but then you can log your runs. You can, they've got all sorts of gamification aspects. And so you're, you're, it exists as a brand in your home and in other places and not always just when you're making a transaction versus probably the, since we're hitting on grocery stores, the grocery store is really there just to make the transaction for food. Um, And it's not doing a good job of maybe getting into the community or being a part of my everyday life. And I think that there's ways partnerships can, can do that. There was, um, I remember a, a while ago, there was Elf Cosmetics and Chipotle did a sweepstakes together. And I thought that was the oddest thing. I was like, how does this work? But then when I really dug in to take a look at it, Elf was targeting more you know, younger demographic, younger, younger demographic mm-hmm. eating at Chipotle. And so now here's the the people, the, the say the women who were buying the makeup are now sitting at Chipotle, maybe with a bunch of friends talking about Elf Cosmetics outside of buying it from, from Target or wherever they're available. And so they, they really were able to, through that partnership, be able to bring their brand into more of a, a daily life with them. And I, I was, once it all clicked, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, and that's that complementary aspect of demographic, right? Elf is a younger brand. Maybe it wouldn't have worked for Mac, but it, but it did for Elf. Um, and yeah, there there are so many examples that that you that you could potentially give um, in that regard to find it. It's not an easy proposition because you could plan it, 
mm-hmm. build the rationale for it, do the research, identify the sectors, then drill down within the sector to identify the companies that you want to hit one, two, three, you know, like Petco, yes, PetSmart second, Chewy third, or uh, or regional chains, yes, that matches up better with my geography or some of the regional chains. So however it is that you go at it, you know, there's a reason why when they say which brands are loved the most, mm-hmm. what do people say? They say Apple, they say Nike, they say Adidas, mm-hmm. uh, Under Armour. Well, why is that? It's because they're part of your regular everyday life. Yeah. Right. Um, and they don't commercialize it. They just enable it, mm-hmm. which also gets at what you're passionate about, which is your fitness, which is music or its content or or its connectivity. So all those things that are like humanist, you love. But even Under Armour, they've, they've got apps where you could enter in all the food that you're eating and understand the content of what you're consuming. So then you can even live a healthier life. Talk about big data and talk about powerful information that's out of control, right? (laughs) So how do you use that? I mean, my God. And it's like all over the world, that app. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. So though they're they're helping you and they're helping guide you and they're giving you they're giving you tools to live a better life that have absolutely nothing to do with buying a shirt. Yes. But you're proud to go and have that UA on on your sleeve because it's it's representing a brand that cares about me and is demonstrating that they care about me by enabling me to live a healthier life. That's loyalty, that's affinity. That's where you want to, that's where you want to, I mean, I say that my son worked at Nike headquarters between his junior and senior year of college. And, and it was a fabulous experience. And I've been to Nike headquarters and I've walked the grounds and so on and so forth. And my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and my sister-in-law all work there. I'm more loyal to Under Armour than I am to Nike. Why? I really can't put a finger on it except the fit of the shoes, one, and two, the, the clothing fits me better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nike is a little bit more narrow and I got 52 inch shoulders. So there you go. Do they know that? Do they know what my body type is? They have no idea, but that's part of the reason why Nike is going direct to consumer is to find that out. Yep. That's why Under Armour opened up their, what is it? Clubhouse or the house or something like that. It's the name of their direct stores, right? Yeah. Get to know, get to know your customer. That's it. They figured, you know, they figured it out. Now, and that's what's happening with consumer packaged goods. They want to go and, and go direct to customers. So that's another high growth area that we're seeing. Right? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that too. And it's it's mm-hmm. important. And I think loyal, loyalty just helps so much from that perspective too, because loyalty is that, as you mentioned, the two-way value exchange. And we have consent. So it, it we're so many don't. So it, and, and by the consent and, and people participating to get something, they're going to raise their hand and let you know. I had a great debate with somebody the other day about, oh, well, a spin and win will give you data. Yeah, but they're not, it doesn't mean someone's going to come back. <laughs> you got to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. You got you to do something with it. You should be trying to achieve and be celebrate, celebrated is that experts in the field call your program personalized, accountable, leveraging the data optimally, driving incremental growth improving overall shareholder value, beating your competition year over year. There, I just named six things. <laughs> that was perfect. That, that's what you, you know, that's how you were held accountable. 
Yep. Well, I loved all those points you just rattled off because we've we've been talking for a long time, so we probably should wrap. But that was a great way to to really summarize everything that we were just talking about. Those are the pieces that are are so important, and those are the things that brand marketers as well as loyalty marketers need to really be thinking about and how they're building their brand and building their relationships. So I, I thought that was terrific. And since we are getting close on time, anything else, parting advice you have for the audience? Well, every day that I get up and do this, I dare to dream. Because it's so much fun working across a whole spectrum of different clients from the gaming industry to cruise lines to retail to specialty retail. It's fun. And we're constantly pushing the envelope and talking and advising our clients on how they could ultimately do that, whether it's a coalition program in the Middle East to a proprietary program here in the U.S. to a coalition program in the Caribbean. Every day, we are daring to dream of having a wonderful positive impact on our clients' success. And they rely on us for our expertise, but we rely on them to be open to ideas and to imagination and to innovation and achieving a competitive point of difference. And you can't do it alone. You need to have great technology that's gonna go and support you like Annex Cloud has, to be a good partner, to be able to grow together. All of those things are key and essential. And it's just it's just fun to be in this space. I'm just having a great time and I hope Folks that tune in got some some real inspiration out of it. And I thank you for offering me the time to visit with you today. Well, I'm so excited that you took it. And, and we had this great conversation. It's always, you, know, you and I obviously can go and talk for hours and hours and hours, but super insightful, always learn something from you. So I, I really appreciate it. One last thing, do you want to tell folks how they can get a hold of you? Easy enough. It's david.slavic at ascendantloyalty.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. There's only one handsome bald David Slavic. So just find me and uh, my contact information is right there on my LinkedIn profile. And the name of the company is ascendantloyalty.com. Terrific. Thanks so much, David. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. Join us next time for more loyalty insights. Until then, dare to dream. Let Annex Cloud help make your dreams a reality. Visit AnnexCloud.com. See you soon.